Welcome to Spiro Avenue, and now your host, Justin Spiro. Hello out there, I am Justin Spiro. Thank you for joining us on episode 8 of the Spiro Avenue podcast. Happy to be with you, happy that you are here with me. Now, I, I got to tell you, I started college a little over 10 years ago now. I was in the dorms like every other sucker freshman year. We moved to sophomore year. I'm up at Central Michigan University before eventually transferring to Michigan State. And we're house hunting. We eventually find a four-bedroom townhouse, great Deerfield apartments up there in Mount Pleasant. So I have three guys that I'm going to room with, four-bedroom townhouse. It's exciting. We're right in Party Alley. We can't wait. It's the best thing ever, right? So we had three of two roommates for me right away. I mean, three of the four spots were down pat. We knew for sure who we wanted to be with. We were excited. It was wonderful. We had a little bit of trouble deciding on roommate number four, and we had a candidate that we thought was pretty strong. He was a guy that was really funny, really nice, uh, definitely not uncomfortable around a, a keg party, and uh, he fit in. Uh, he was a good, good choice on paper, and we rolled with it, and we ended up choosing him, and we move in, and first couple months are exciting. You're out of the dorms for the first time. You're really free for the first time in your life because the dorms, frankly, don't count. And we're excited. And then suddenly, beer started disappearing from the fridge. Dishes started piling up in the sink. Uh, there were cigarette butts all over the porch. And the honeymoon phase with roommate number four ended rather abruptly. And this is what happens a lot in life when, you know, you can overlook certain things with people, uh, especially if you're not living with them. And even once you are living with this perhaps irritable person, it doesn't take just one dish in the sink or, or one pile of laundry that sits there for two weeks to, to really push over the edge. It's sort of an accumulation of these, these micro issues. And for the first couple of months, we sort of just ignored it. We were so happy to be free and it was great and it didn't bother us too much. Eventually it bothered us and more and more things started piling up and he was not a good roommate after all. We made a mistake living there was miserable and every little thing this guy did drove us nuts if he even said the wrong thing or looked at us the wrong way he had no wiggle room at all and we would go off on him and it was just a terrible fit it was a toxic fit so we ended up kicking him out and had a different roommate the next year in the same unit now how does this relate to anything we're talking about today i would argue in my humble opinion the detroit tigers have been that bad roommate for the past decade plus really since 2006. You thought they were pretty good. You know, you thought you had a pretty good deal. They were competitive just about every year. They were in two World Series. They went to another pair of ALCSs. It's been a pretty good run. They were a pretty good roommate. You didn't mind riding with the Detroit Tigers. Maybe they weren't the, the coolest guy or the best roommate in the entire world, but they were a good hang. You could hang out with the Detroit Tigers. You could live with the Detroit Tigers. But what happened... These little things started to creep in. They were embarrassed in two World Series. Prince Fielder gave repeated middle fingers to the fans figuratively. Tyler Collins gave a literal middle finger to the fan base. Joe Nathan gave the universal sign for FU walking off the mound. The Tigers let Max Scherzer walk for no reason other than Mike Illich was offended about the how the negotiations were run. Max Scherzer was let to just walk out of sheer stubbornness. The fans noticed that. The fans knew. And then what happened? Max Scherzer ended up becoming probably the second best pitcher in all baseball behind Clayton Kershaw over in Washington. So 
really, I mean, you thought the Tigers treated you pretty nicely during this period, but these things accumulated. I think this fan base has had one thing after another. Obviously, you could even throw the David Ortiz bomb when Joaquin Benoit grooved him a, a change-up in 2013. There have been so many of these little things. And you could say the the cigarette butt in the in the kitchen sink was the Ortiz home run. Or you could say that the, the trash on the porch every day was the Max Scherzer negotiation. I mean, these things just piled up. So the Tigers suddenly... Little by little, no one thing did it, alienated their fan base. And now what is the result? The fan base is frankly fit for a straitjacket. There's no other way to put it. This time of this recording, the trade deadline passed a couple hours ago. Okay, The Tigers made, in my estimation, a very reasonable and I would say good trade, trading to the Chicago Cubs, Alex Avila, and Justin Wilson. In return... They got some guy named Condelario or something that is supposedly pretty good, pretty good uh, prospect, and a, another piece, uh, an 18-year-old infielder, something, something Paredes, who is highly regarded. And look, you no, know, these names are very difficult, but just look into this a little bit. What happened when this trade broke last night, about 18 hours before the trade deadline? The fan base went apoplectic. The fan base went absolutely crazy, saying that GM Alavila has no idea what he's doing. He's clueless. Fire him now. This is a fireable offense. Oh, the Tigers got fleeced. That's what everybody said. And this is this is a result. This is like repeated stresses on this fan base. It's like a PTSD issue with this fan base. The Tigers traded Justin Wilson and Alex Avila for two pretty darn good prospects. And you have to look at what what did they trade? Justin Wilson's having a very good year. Last year's ERA was over four. Now, I know ERA is not the best metric, especially for a relief pitcher, but he was average last year by any measure. He was just an average reliever at best. And two years before that, same thing, ERA over four, average. Two of the last three years coming into this year, he's been average to below average. He's nothing special. He's having a very nice year. You rode the wave. Congratulations. And then you look at Alex Avila. Alex Avila could have been signed by any team in Major League Baseball for like $2 million this past offseason. A couple months ago, he wasn't worth dirt. And if you look at him, as nice of a year as he's had, he's been really slumping. I think it's uh, sort of a regression to the mean for Alex Avila. So you have essentially a good backup catcher that nobody wanted a couple months ago for more than a bargain basement price. And a relief pitcher that is having a nice year but has been pretty mediocre to average for two of the last four seasons. And you got two really good prospects overall. I mean, one's uh, an 18-year-old total wild card, but is relatively high regarded given that slot and that age. And another guy who's been raking in AAA for the last two years. The last two years combined, this Candelario guy has an OPS of like 912 at the next highest level of the major leagues. I'm not saying that they got the David Price package. I'm not saying that they got Michael Fulmer, but they weren't trading a UNS Cespedes. And this fan base has gone absolutely crazy calling for Alvila to be fired. There, there's other reasons you could want Alvila fired, for the record. I'm not defending his entire track record. But this fan base has been beaten to a pulp, and it has made a lot of you, frankly, kind of stupid on this. I, I hate to say it. I hate to call out the audience like that, but... It was like 
anti this trade. And it wasn't just, uh, I think you could have gotten a little more. The Tigers maybe should have held out. Eh. It was like this is the worst trade that's ever happened. And you just look around Major League Baseball, look at what Brandon Kinsler got in return in the, with the Minnesota Twins trade. The Minnesota Twins traded Brandon Kinsler their closer this year. And they got some crappy single-A pitcher named Tyler Watson who has an ERA over four in single-A. He's not on the top 200 list anywhere. Brandon Kinsler has an almost identical stat line as Justin Wilson this year. He was better than Justin Wilson last year. His career numbers are almost identical within a fraction of an ERA and whip point of Justin Wilson. He basically is Justin Wilson. For all intents and purposes, Brandon Kinsler is Justin Wilson. What did Kinsler get in return? A crappy, nondescript, single-A pitcher who's basically nothing. Basically, the Twins are, are buying a magic bean stock, some magic beans. They're, they're hoping it grows into something. I mean, it was a giveaway. They're doing Kinsler a solid because he's a good guy and they want him to be in a pennant race. It was a, it was a throwaway. So you're expecting an equivalent, essentially, of Justin Wilson and Brandon Kinsler to, to get that one crappy pitcher back, and you're going to instead pair that same guy, basically, with Alex Avila, and you're going to get some massive haul, some top 10 prospect, you got to keep things in some kind of perspective. So, look, I'm not happy with the job Al Avila has done. I think he's done a very bad job. But you got to be careful as a fan base that you're not so jaded. Look, I get that this team, they've kicked you right in the gut, over and over and over again. I felt your pain with you. I've been there every step of the way. I get that. But let's not go to, to La La Town here. Let's, let's not be fit for a straitjacket as a fan base because you look stupid. Anyone that's saying that this trade is a reason to fire somebody or was a terrible trade is stupid. If you say the trade wasn't the best, no problem. We disagree. I think they did pretty well. But it, what do you expect? You have to look at what other guys got, and you also have to consider the common sense. Is Al Avila so incompetent that he was going to make a trade where there was a far better package on the table? Look, the J.D. Martinez trade, for the timing alone, I think was indefensible. I think it was a mediocre package. But if they had made that same exact trade today or yesterday, I wouldn't be half as mad about it because I would know that they waited the full two weeks longer than they actually did, and they pushed it to the limit, and maybe that's the best they could get. But make no mistake, no one is calling Al Avila saying, hey, we got two top 20 prospects for you, and he's, he, he's going to hang up on that phone call and then go and call the Cubs and ask for less? doesn't make any sense. So everyone just decrying the street, just, just calm down. Look, I get it. You need a lot of patience with yourself. People need to have patience with you. I, I feel your pain as a Tigers fan, but you got to be reasonable. Okay, stay with me on planet Earth here. Okay, this is, this is a good trade for the Tigers. I'm not happy about the future of this team. I think it, it's probably pretty bleak. Unless, they tr unless the, Chris Hillich tells this team pretty quick, I don't think there's any reason to be excited for a long time. But this move in a vacuum, I think it was a good, solid trade. So basically the Detroit Tigers are that college roommate that, you know, eh, they seem pretty good. They're a good hang, long enough timeline, they do enough crap to piss you off, and now every little thing they do, guilty, not guilty, bad or not bad, it just pisses you off anyway. It doesn't matter what they do. You know, Alvio could have done almost anything today at the deadline and the fan base would be upset. 
and the market is just not that good. This is a timing issue. This has been one of the worst seller markets in the history of Major League Baseball. The days are gone where you can trade David Justice and get a top 10 prospect like Ricky Lede. The days are gone even where you get a huge package for Cespedes. And the days could come back, but that's not the market this year. And just look around Major League Baseball to verify that. There wasn't any Glaber Torres for Araldus Chapman trade this year. That trade wasn't out there. And make no mistake, Justin Wilson is not Araldus Chapman. Okay, he's a solid relief pitcher. He's not one of the best five or six relief pitchers of the last 15 years. So that is my take on this. I think the fan base is way too crazy on this matter. I think they need to take a breath and realize that uh, not everything Alvila does is stupid just because he's had a, a rough tenure here. So I'm excited to bring in Tony Paul. We're going to get him on the line. Tony Paul, good writer for the Detroit News, one of the, the few good journalists in town, and we've had several of the very few good journalists in town on this show. We try to bring you the best. So we're going to get Tony Paul on the line. I think he agrees with me on this. We're going to see what Tony Paul has to say. So here's Tony Paul. And here we have Tony Paul of the Detroit News joining us, one of the finer journalists in this town. I always say there's three, four, maybe five guys in town that I think are, are really good, sort of fit the journalist throwback mold, and um, that's really what Tony is. I, I think Tony is one of the few guys that really gets down in the mud and reports things that are maybe not so convenient. So, uh, Tony, it's great to have you. Tigers trade deadline today. You know, there's a lot going on with this fan base. I introed it in, the, in our first segment. The, the fan base has gone nuts over this Avila-Wilson trade with the Cubs. I mean, where am I wrong? Do you not think that the fan base is overreacting to how terrible this trade is? Well, yeah, first, thank you for saying those nice things about me. Um, appreciate that. Uh, yeah, I, I often think that the Tiger fan base overreacts. Um, and it's such a, you know, and I think we've talked about this before, it's, it's not just trade deadline or, or this and that move. I mean, it's an overreaction to every single game. In a, in a long baseball season, this is just weird that every little thing that happens is the, is the end of the world or, you know, it's just this great thing. It's just, you know, baseball is a long, drawn-out process, not just, you know, per season, 162 games, it's a long season, so there's going to be ups and downs, but also, you know, in, in, in player development. These guys just don't come up and, uh, you know, contribute right away. And so when you get prospects in return and a, and a bunch of people that no one's heard of, um, I just think it's funny to immediately write off the move as being some terrible thing. I mean, I got into it with a few people on Twitter yesterday. There's only, you know, a handful of prospect, prospect experts out there that I really trust to their evaluation because they've seen all these people. And so many fans, just if they've never heard of the person, they're automatically going to dismiss the move. So, yeah, I, I think it's an overreaction. Um, you know, we're a ways away from finding out not whether just this move was any good, but if they got anything out of the J.D. Martinez. Maybe they didn't. Maybe they did. Uh, but, yeah, I do, I do think there's definitely an overreaction. Um, this, this is a rebuild. And so, it, you know, it requires patience. And patience has never been a strong suit of the Tiger fan base. No, it hasn't. And one of the things that I've been noticing really with the, the Twitter mob, they are just apoplectic about the fact that the Tigers are, have acquired something like nine infielders in, in the last two weeks. And my logic is, look, you're essentially buying up lottery tickets. 
Mm-hmm. These people admit that they don't know if these prospects are going to be good. Nobody, the, Keith Law, it doesn't matter who it is, knows if these guys are going to be good or not. Right. But you try to get guys with upside. I, I mean, again, I don't see any issue with stockpiling third basemen, stockpiling shortstops, because, frankly, if you have four or five third basemen in your minor league system that have a pulse, that increases your odds of developing a really good major league third baseman more so than if you have just one or two. I mean, I, I don't get what the fan base is talking about here. And just assess the, you know, throw the fan base out for a second. You admit it on Twitter. You don't know if these guys are going to be good. At least you have the courage to admit that and not pretend like you don't know things that you, you know, that you do know things that you don't know. But just look at the trade from what we do know, what we can tell, what we can glean from other sources. I mean, I think the Tigers did pretty good here. What do you think? Well, I think in the two trades, um, and, uh, you know, the general consensus from, from people I've talked to, and that includes Keith Law and some others, um, the consensus is that they did better in this trade than they did in the J.D. Martinez trade. Now, um, that's not overly surprising for a couple of reasons. One, J.D. Martinez fans forget um, was a rental. He's a, he's a guy who's going to be a free agent. Um, baseball's landscape has changed in that – you know, back when the Tigers traded Cespedes um, to the Mets, things were different. Uh, you know, teams were more willing to give up prospects. The way that the new collective bargaining agreement is, everyone talks about it. I mean, I haven't read the whole thing, but generally speaking, there are, for payroll, for significant, you know, for the luxury tax purposes, there is, you know, penalties, financial and penalties in the draft. So the landscape's different. You're not going to get what you got two years ago for a rental. So that so it's not surprising that this deal is better. Um, also, the landscape for hitters. I mean, look at hitters. Nobody got anything for any hitters at the trade deadline. The only real hitters of substance move were J.D. Martinez, Melky Cabrera, and Todd Frazier. And the only deal that had any huge haul was the Frazier deal, and that's because it included two pitchers from the White Sox to the Yankees, too. So, um, so it's not surprising that this deal is better. Everything I hear, the, the, the main kid, um, and I want to call him Candelaria or, you know, what, whatever, um, but uh, he can, he's going to hit for average, they say. Uh, he's got a little bit more pop than he showed, than he has showed in the minor le- shown in the minor leagues. So from all, from all accounts, he's going to hit. Um, the other two guys, or uh, the other guy, and maybe a player to be named, um, you know, I don't really think we know much. The other kid's, what, 18, 20 years old. He's going to go to West Michigan and, you know, figure it out. And he's just, if he's going to make the majors, it's not going to be for five, six years anyway. So, um, all accounts, they got a pretty good hitter. And, uh, they gave up, uh, you know, they gave up Justin Wilson, who's going to get really expensive. And they gave up a rental backup catcher in Alex Avila, who, quite frankly, they could sign again in the offseason. So, I don't think all in all it was that bad of a deal. No, not at all. And again, it is relative to the market. You know, we mentioned in the intro. Brandon Kinsler from the Twins was traded for a single-A pitcher who is mediocre. I mean, it's Tom Watson, Taylor Watson, some crap. He has an ERA of like 420 in single-A. He's a nothing prospect. He's not on anyone's top 200 anywhere. And Kinsler has an almost identical stat line as Wilson. Now, obviously, you throw in Avila, but Avila has been slumping for, what, a month or two now? And, frankly, could have been had by anybody in this league for pennies just a few months ago. So I, I I don't get this fan base. I, you know, in the intro we talked about, I think it's a fan base that has been punched in the gut, kicked in the gut over and over and over and over again. And I get that because I'm a fan too. 
I, I know you're a journalist first, but I think deep down you'd like to see the team do well. You have 1984 in your Twitter handle. Maybe I'm wrong, but I think my sister, that's the year my sister was born. Oh, okay. Well, there, there <laughs> you go. <laughs> well, that, well, just roll with that then. Don't dispute that. Yeah. But I just think this fan base has, has been beaten down, and I do get that because I've been along for that ride. So I'm not going to completely condemn the fan base for overreacting. I get when you've been let down and kicked in the gut over and over and over again. I get the overreaction to a certain extent. But at some point, I mean, you have to have some logical basis for any of your analysis and you have it's not just people saying f you you have like pretty smart people smart people in my social circle that think that this trade is just the worst thing that's ever happened but let's just talk about big picture with the tigers we think i think we agree this is going to be at least a few years before they're a viable playoff contender i mean do you not see this being at least three or four years of a rebuild yeah, I do. Um, you know, a lot of people think that they're about to head into the dark ages. I'm not sure it's that grim. Um, I don't think this is, you know, I don't think this is going to be a 10-year, 12, 15, 20-year 20 20 thing. But, yeah, it's just, it's definitely a significant rebuild. Um, they've made that perfectly clear. The payroll, you know, they've lived without, outside their means for, you know, many, many years. We both know that they have an owner now in Chris Village, who has bigger fish to fry than the Tigers, which is weird to say when the Tigers are a billion-dollar entity. But clearly, with everything that's going on in Detroit, the Tigers are not, you know, his toy like they were with his dad uh, to spend whatever it takes. So, yeah, things are going to change. Um, you know, you, you got some aging guys in this roster that you're going to have to let things play out, um, that are going to have to move along. But they still have, you know, everyone talks about it being this really old Team, and it's not that old if you look at it. They have some old pieces, but they also have a young third baseman. They have a young shortstop. They have a young catcher. They have a young stud starting pitcher, Michael Fulmer. They still have Justin Berlander, who clearly they're not going to give away as the face of the franchise, who still throws 90, averages 97 miles an hour with his fastball. Should have won the Cy Young last year. You know, he looks like Nolan Ryan, not really slowing down that much into his mid 30s. Um, you know, so they still have some pretty good pieces in place, and now they're going to have a. Now they're building a farm system, a farm system that has, even if you talk to the Keith Laws, who yes, rank the farm system overall pretty low. They do like some of the young starting pitching that they've drafted in the last couple of drafts with Burroughs and Manning and Funkhauser and Fiedo. They've got a couple stud hitters in Gerber and Kristen Stewart. They've got some at least exciting pieces which they haven't had in the minors in a long time. Uh, so, you know, look, it's going to be a few years, maybe four, who knows. You, know, you still have to make the right moves in free agency with the right trades, uh, and we don't know if Avila is going to hit on that. He's made some errors. I think we can agree on that. But he's also been on the job for two years. And Dave Dombrowski was on the job for two years. You know, he was, you know, people wanted to run him out of town because he was talking to season ticket holders about, I can't trade Bobby Higginson, why don't you trade Bobby Higginson? You know, so let's slow down, give him give, give Avila a little bit of a chance here, a little bit of faith, and see if, see if he can turn this around. I, I don't think they're, you know, I don't think that's all doom and gloom. It's not going to be fun the next couple of years, but it's not the end of the world. These things happen. Now, I know you've had some pretty candid thoughts on covering Avila versus covering Dombrowski. You seem to say in the past, 
Dombrowski was pretty cagey, was pretty closed off. Avila will talk to anybody and is a little bit more willing to share things. Uh, you know, I don't know if you saw Avila's comment today. Uh, just a few hours ago, I believe he came out and flatly denied any idea that Chris Illich told him to shed salary or has ever made that type of instruction. You've pretty much strongly defended this guy as a straight shooter that's not going to BS with the media. I mean, do you buy that? Do you buy that just from what he said? Do you think that this team has not, or the ownership has not told him to shed salary? Because I'm I'm a little dubious about that, to be honest. Well, here's where I kind of think that he's being truthful. Uh, One, uh, exactly right as far as the frankness of Avila. I mean, he's He's much more willing to, you know, go on background with reporters uh, and 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 you know answer tough questions, and uh, he's willing to do that. So he's a pretty straight shooter from everything I've had. I mean, I've had late night phone calls where if he doesn't like something that I write, uh, you know, the difference here's another difference between Dabrowski. Just you know, Dabrowski would have one of his people call me and tell me that they don't like this, or if Avila doesn't like something I write. Two or three times, we've we've had it out, you know, and and it was good, you know, we had a good exchange. Uh, so he is a straight shooter. And the other thing is, Justin Verlander is still on this team, and the fact that Justin Verlander is still on this team makes me believe that there is no edict to just get rid of players just for salary purposes. Because the Tigers could have traded Justin Verlander if they picked up twenty million dollars and got nothing in return, and you know, moved on from him. They didn't do that. They weren't going to do that. They wanted something in return. They didn't want to eat much of his salary. So the fact that Justin Verlander is still a Tiger, I kind of believe that Chris Illich hasn't laid down the edict. I think it's pretty clear that, hey, when salary is coming off the books or if there's an opportunity to make a move to get something in return, um, we're going to do that. But we're not going to just hand away some faces of the franchise like Justin Verlander or or, you know, Ian Kinsler or whoever, just to shed the payroll. But the fact that these guys are, these big money guys are still on the team, I think is a pretty good indicator that Chris Hillich didn't say that. I think the, you know, like I said, I think it's just understood that, you know, they're not going to go out and spend wildly. And if there's an opportunity to get leaner in the payroll while getting something in return, they're going to do that. Well, you, you cover this team quite a bit. You really have your finger on the pulse, I feel like. You're, I would say, Probably the best Tigers coverage in town comes from you. So you tell me, inside information or not, just your opinion. Percent chance that Brad Ausmus is the manager opening day 2018? Uh, I, I would be very surprised. I mean, percent, I mean, like 5, 10% maybe. Um, and, you know, not the best man in the world, clearly. We all have different differences with him. Um, he, you know, he, he makes a lot of moves that we question. And uh, so, you know, there's that. There's also the fact that, you know, he's had four years, one year in the playoffs, three years not in the playoffs. Um, you know, he's, he doesn't have a contract extension. The team's going into a rebuild. So there's a chance he doesn't want to be here anyway. Um, but he had a comment yesterday. I put this on Twitter. That was very interesting. And maybe it was just a slip of the tongue or, or maybe he wasn't even thinking or it was subconscious or whatever. But they were talking about Dixon Machado, who, by the way, I think is actually a, a, an up-and-coming ball player. I really like what I've seen from him. That's just beside the last couple months. But he made a comment about, you know, because he started for Kinsler the other day, and the comment Brad made was Detroit Tigers have to figure out if this guy's a starter or not in the future. I just thought it was interesting wording that, 
wasn't we have to figure it out or I have to figure it out. It was the Detroit Tigers have to figure out if this guy's a starter in the future. I think most signs point to the Tigers moving on, and it might even be a mutual party. Um, you know, maybe Auspice doesn't really want to go through this, and he's had four years here, and, and it hasn't been very successful. So I, I would just be surprised. I think he's defeated. You know, I, you try to read the body language. When Jennifer Hammond was just peppering him with questions a few days ago after that. Which, by the way, was, it was excellent work by her. Oh, yeah, terrific. I, we featured her in our winner's segment on our last show. I mean, we, we yeah. played the whole audio. We cut it all up. And, I mean, she just she wasn't inappropriate. She, you know, kept it professional, but really just hit him hard and would not let him off the hook. He gave three or four different answers to the same question. He was all over the yeah. map. And you, you kept seeing him kind of look away. He didn't want to deal yeah. with it. He just looks like he doesn't want to be there. I, he looks yeah. like he's playing out the string or managing out the string. So I, I think the writing's on the wall, and I think he knows it. I didn't hear that this sort of Freudian shli- uh, slip that you're referring yeah, to. Yeah, I just read it in a, story, uh, in a story today that one of our writers wrote. And, um, I think yeah, there might be something to that. Uh, it, it's, it's a it's weird thing to say common. if you think you're going to yeah. be here. I mean, yeah. and that's it's just, how it's I just a it. weird comment to say the Detroit Tigers have to figure this out. You know, it's like, I remember, you know, a couple of years ago when Leland, I think it was 2012, actually, and uh, Leland didn't have an extension, I don't think, and maybe it was 11. wasn't sure if he was going to be back, and they came out with the schedule. I was in Toronto when they came out with the following year's schedule, and there was a couple of interesting road trips, and I asked Leland about it, and Leland was just pretty blunt. He's like, well, that might not be my problem to worry about. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yep. He was pretty honest about it. Uh, you know, and Austin, was, I just thought it was a weird comment to make, which the wording, it just didn't sound like him. Um, and it's just, I don't know. I thought it was something it might be nothing. Well, it'll be interesting because you would think they would go outside of the organization to replace him, assuming he is gone. If you had any intention of just promoting Vizquel or somebody, you know, you would fire Austin now. You probably have already done that. Yeah, yeah. You, would, you would fire Austin now and at least give the, the new manager the interim, you know, tag and see what he does and, Right. give him sort of a, a chance to get his feet wet if it were Vizcal, for example. So I, I suspect they're going to go outside of the organization. I will not say if it will be Ron Gardenhire or not because I already got burned on that once, <laughs> and that was a Mike Illich guy. I don't know what Chris Illich thinks of him, to be honest. But I want to talk a little bit about Cabrera. You've been in this clubhouse a thousand times. Do you think there's anything going on between the ears, or is it all just he's getting older and breaking down? Because I think there's something going on mentally. I don't have any inside information, but I think there's something else going on than his groin hurts. What do you What do you think of this? Well, you know, none of us know. Okay, so it's pure speculation, and you hate to speculate about something that you you know that's it's just done too much. You know, and flippantly on sports talk radio, and you know, just people just throw throw things against the wall. So I, I really don't want to do that. I do, I, I do think there's a couple factors. One, um, his back is hurting. Okay, I, I don't think there's any question. You can see that in his swing. He's altered his swing this year to not put as much pressure on the back to use his legs less. Uh, you can see the rotation isn't isn't what it was. So there's definitely the back issue, which flared up in the spring. I don't think ever really healed. Um, I think is a big problem. I mean, you, if you or I had a back injury or a sore back, we'd have a tough time getting to work every day. You know, I mean, it's back injuries, which I've had my entire life, are painful. And it's hard to do anything. And this guy's still going out there and, and trying. I, I give him credit for that. There's also the fact that when the team goes south um, and, you know, things go south for the team and, and for him personally on the field, is a moody person. He's a, he's a nice guy. Um, uh, you know when he's when he's on, 
you know, pers- personably, he's really on. He's funny. Um, you know, he's really obviously great with the fans and all that. But when things go south, uh, he he beats himself up and he gets moody. And uh, I don't, you know, I, I, you know, I would I would suspect that that doesn't help matters at all. Uh, but I, I really take the root of it, you know, from what I know, and without speculating about anything else because I just don't know. Um, you can you can tell that the back injury is, is a problem. You, if you look at his swing, he's altered it. Um, to, to try to protect it and, you know, not using your lower body. If you don't use your lower body, you, you have no power. Um, and I tell people this all the time, you know, why did Alex Avila have a good, had a good first half anyway? Well, Alex Avila, you know, Jim Leland essentially broke him in 2012, playing him all those games when he didn't need to, when they ran away with the division. He was hurt for the next four or five years. He had knee injury after knee injury after knee injury. He had no lower body no lower body strength, so he rolled over on everything. He's finally healthy this year, and you could see he was using his lower body. He was going the other way, and the power came back. The lower body's everything in this swing, and that's also directly tied to the back. And uh, if you don't have a good back, you're going to have problems. You had some really interesting words on David Price, who's been in the news quite a bit with his issues with Boston. I, I thought it was very interesting. We discussed it briefly just openly on Twitter. <laughs> but you covered David Price. This whole issue with him and Dennis Eckersley, with the Boston media, you had some interesting experiences with David Price, I believe. Can you talk about what it was like covering him when he was here? Well, um, I didn't have any interactions with him because we didn't get off to a great start. Um, I mean, we got off to a really good start the first day he was here when I wrote about his dog. And then um, I think three or four starts in to his Tiger career, he had that game, and I'm sure you remember it, against the Yankees. And he got shelled. Yep. I think they have, a, what, eight hits in a row or something or something ridiculous yeah, like that. He got just crushed. And that was the season. The season Price got traded, he had this new philosophy that he was working on. was you know, the whole three pitches and done, no matter what the result, whether it was an out, a strikeout, a hit, a home run, whatever. He didn't want to throw more than three pitches to a batter because he didn't want to walk anybody. So that was his philosophy. Well, he he, he was he just grew so many pitches to the Yankees that I asked, you know, for originally Austin held this question, and I asked him, I said, well, do you think, you know, I know it sounds like a stupid question, but I really don't think it is. I said, do you think there's such a thing as throwing too many strikes? And Austin kind of agreed with me. Um, and then I took that question to David Price, and he, for <laughs> lack of going into too much detail, did not agree with me um, and really wouldn't you know, much acknowledge me the rest of the season um, because he didn't like the question. Because he was like, well, well, what am I supposed to do, throw balls? And, and the point was, you know, if you're always around the plate, if you're always just, you're so afraid to walk people, can't that hamper you? And I still believe that was a legitimate question. Well, I think you were right. I, I, yeah. I agree with you to begin with, but even if I didn't, I don't see what's such an egregious yeah. he question. He took offense to it, and, and it just gave me – because when he first came over and he had the introductory press coverage, everything was fine, and he was coming to a big team with a chance to win a World Series, and, you know, everyone wants to talk about his dog, and, you know, the first press conference was very very enlightening and very good and happy, and then he, he ran into some adversity. And, you know, I always say and tell people that, I don't think you know what type of person somebody is when things are going well. Um, I think you find out what type of person somebody is when things aren't going well. Um, at least their their you know mood, their character. You know, same thing like with Joe Nathan. All the success, all the success was hailed as a great guy, 
comes over to Detroit, has some adversity for the first time in his career, and all, holy hell breaks loose. And all of a sudden, you start to see some cracks in his personality. And so I, I kind of, you know, Price was a little bit more surly and, um, than I think fans realize. Um, you know, he's pretty good when the cameras were on, as, as most of the athletes tend to be. But, uh, yeah, so, I mean, I got a sense of it that he had a little chip on his shoulder and uh, definitely, um, you know, maybe a little thin skin. And this whole thing with Eckersley, you know, he, he – I, I talked to Eckersley. I, I know Eckersley pretty well. Um, he's a funny, honest guy. Um, and Price's beef with him seems to be that, well, he's never in the locker room. You know, he shouldn't be allowed to say anything. And my thing is, okay, yeah, there's an argument to be made that if you're going to criticize somebody, you should be in the locker room. There's also an argument to be made that if you're going to be on, you know, in a public domain and you're going to, you know, speak your mind honestly, that maybe you don't want to be in the locker room being all buddy-buddy with you, like you see around the league with a lot of broadcasters. Um, so I, I, when, the, when the word came out about what happened with Price and Eckersley, I, I – uh, maybe some Tiger fans were surprised. I wasn't surprised at all. I thought that was interesting, and that was that was the reaction of the fan base for me and from really I saw maybe seven or eight people respond to you right away, and it was just people were blown away by that. Everyone thought Price was sort of a jolly guy, at least when he was here before he got to Boston. But I don't think, you know, typically with these postseason struggles, you can write it off to a small sample size. I think there's something to it with that guy. I, I think there's something about the eyeballs on him. Any hit that he gives up in a big spot, he, he just he crumbles. I would not trust him in a big spot, frankly. Well, look at it. when you play in Tampa most of your career, you know it's, it's it's a pretty comfortable life. You know, there's not a lot of criticism down there. There's not a lot of eyeballs on. When you get in the big stage, and now he's in Boston, which is huge stage. Um, yeah, I mean it, it's a, it's a whole different world. It's just this this adversarial relationship that some of these guys take with the media. Obviously, Randy Johnson famously shoving a cameraman <laughs> the streets of New York right. when he was and now, there. And now, he, now he's a photographer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know with the irony of that. <laughs> just, I, I, it's just such a bad way to go for these guys. And it's funny that David Price is calling out Dennis Eckersley for not being in the locker room if he's going to be critical. Would David Price be kind to him if he showed up in the locker room? You know firsthand that any you weren't even critical. You just asked a question, and he shut yeah. you out, apparently. Yeah. So it, it's interesting. He can say, oh, Eckersley never comes down here, doesn't come down here enough. Well, David, what if he does? I mean, you you clearly don't like the criticism regardless. I think that's a cop-out. And really right, what Eckersley yeah. said was just yuck. It's not like he was Well, it wasn't it. even anything. But And here's the other thing, too, is, is Red Sox fans, as most fans would – appreciate the fact that they actually have a TV announcer who's willing to be honest and critical. That's not that common across baseball uh, at all. Uh, but, but one t- you know, occasionally when guys are critical, you know, then all of a sudden, look at Steve Stone, one of the best broadcasters in the business, in my opinion, gets blown out from Chicago because he was honest and critical, you know, because the players are thin-skinned. I don't understand it. I don't know why these yeah, I don't know why these players care so much what other people think. They've got a great job. They've got a great life. Go out there and perform, and they won't be critical. I don't understand it. The thing that, from talking to pro athletes in the past, they just really do not like the media. They hate right. all their media obligations. They, Frankly, a lot of them don't even like the fans. I mean, they they just want to exist in a vacuum and there is a deep resentment there you have your exceptions you have the affable guys that that like the the banter and whatnot but for the most part they just don't want to deal with it and some 
suck it up better than others. I think Price is example of one of the guys that doesn't handle it so well. But <laughs> it, whatever. I mean, I, he's embarrassing himself, and really the fans in Boston and around the country have really turned on him. He's he's made quite an ass out of himself. But I would I would tend to agree with that. Yeah, no question. So, well, Tony, we're gonna wrap. Thanks so much for joining us to discuss this trade deadline. I'm glad, as usual, you are a sane voice in the cacophony of crap in this town with the fan base just going nuts. You and I were getting yelled at all night on Twitter last night over this crap. It's just people need to keep their head on a little more tightly. It's just it's one thing after just another. Let it play, just let it play out. I mean, you know, yeah, there was some, you know, there was some deal, there were some trades that were made that, you know, teams got premium prospects, at least according to the rankings. There were some other trades that the teams didn't. I mean, some of the trades today made the Cubs, the Tigers trade last night look genius. I mean, there was a lot of low returns, at least if you go by rankings, for players today. There's 13 trades today involving 36 players, and none of them, I thought, got huge, huge prospect hauls. So, um, you know, let it play out. These, these guys are young. The Tigers need to get younger. They have serious position player voids in their minor league system. Let's see what happens. And you alluded to some fans' concern about entering the dark days of the 90s. I don't want it to ever go that low. But if this team has a few years of no expectations, young guys coming up, Oberos, et cetera, I'm okay with that just from a fan perspective. I've had enough of the sort of tease era that this has been. So I, I think it'll be stress-free, and I'm looking forward to just being able to watch some young guys play, and hopefully that, that sort of comes comes to fruition maybe in three or four years where these guys come up and they're good. But People need to just take a breath and calm down. Look, I had no problem with criticizing the J.D. Martinez trade. If you're losing one second of sleep over the hall for Justin Wilson and Alex Avila, I think you have all your priorities in the wrong place. It's just, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it, these fans have completely lost their mind. But, Tony, thanks so much for joining us, and thank you for being really one of the best ones in town. I'll quickly praise your work on that Michigan State softball story. I know you got so much crap for that. Just the <laughs> fact that you're up there reporting, you're actually – digging you're doing some muckraking you are an actual journalist so thank you for that all right justin thanks for having me on anytime take care tony that was tony paul of the detroit news honestly you know we had justin rogers on here about a week ago i gave him the same praise Uh, there's just so few really good throwback journalists in this city so definitely check out tony paul if you haven't been already he's on twitter at tony paul 1984 and he's just a guy with courage. He's a guy that will stick his neck out there. He, I didn't want to bring it up with him. I didn't want to put him in an awkward position on the spot. But we've talked about on this show the knowledge that I have regarding his lack of uh, holding the position with the, the Detroit News as a Tigers beat writer, that the Detroit Tigers have made it very clear they don't want Tony in that position because he's been too critical. I don't know if Tony... Uh, even realizes the extent of how much he's hurt himself just by being an honest guy, and that's such a shame. He's been an honest, fair guy throughout his entire career, the entire time I followed him. So definitely highest praise for Tony Paul. He has the highest respect I can definitely have for any any journalist in this state. He is really one of the good ones, and I'm grateful for him. So that will wrap our show today. A little bit of a shorter show. Obviously no winners and losers today. I thought it was important to hit on the – trade deadline. We will be back probably in a few days working on a couple really good guests. I think, not sure, but I think Charles Rogers of Michigan State and Detroit Lions fame will be our next guest calling in from Florida. Still trying to work out some details. I did speak to him uh, yesterday and he's, he's game for it. It's really just a matter of getting it on the schedule and that should be a really interesting interview. He's 
made it pretty clear he has nothing to hide. He is willing to answer any questions. Uh, not that I offered any boundaries or spectrum for the conversation, but he sounds, um, to me, sounds pretty eager to talk about his career and his life, and we're looking forward to that. Hopefully that'll be next. Thank you, as always, to our producer, Jed Schilling, across from me, uh, one of the best that you'll ever see in this business, and he will be leaving me here in a couple of weeks. I am currently looking for his replacement. I've had a few applications from janitors. I'll talk to you about this off the air. Some janitors have applied for your job, Jed. So uh, people with zero experience and they are saying that they're willing to let me teach them how to use Audition. So maybe I'll let you train one of these these ex-janitors. It's, it's, t- it's been tough to replace you. I already resent you for leaving. So thank you again, Episode 8 of the Spiro Avenue Podcast. We will be back in a few days, hopefully with Charles Rogers. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you to Tony Paul for joining us on the air. We will be back uh, in a few days. Thanks again. Thank you.